0: When we're celebrating a holiday, it's good to consider and to remember why we celebrate. After all, if we don't know why we are celebrating it, what's the point? Plus, you want to be sure that you are celebrating the right things, things that are good for you to celebrate. Now, some may think, oh, who cares if you, what you think is right or good. I will celebrate how I want to celebrate. That'll be my holiday. That's actually kind of the problem that I want to expose today. What do, what do people tend to celebrate at Christmas time? Or Christmas in Canada in 2018. Many would say family, right? Maybe some would say friends. It's celebrating each other time together. Some would say they're celebrating something abstract, like happiness, or peace, or love. The giving of gifts. Some, by their actions, would say they're celebrating food. (laughs) Or music. Or time off work or school. So some are, are just celebrating freedom. Some are exulting in tradition. Or entertainment. Some celebrate stories. Right? We, we have all kinds of great Christmas stories in our traditions with fun characters like Santa or the Grinch or Rudolph or Scrooge. However, I think if we dig a bit deeper and we consider what underlies many of these things, the picture gets a lot darker. What are our motives for celebrating these kinds of things? Why? Now, many of these are really good things, right? Family, community, love, even food. These are are good things we're allowed to celebrate. And it's a good thing to enjoy the many good gifts that God gives us. But why are you enjoying them? What does your enjoyment and your celebration terminate on? The gifts or the giver? Got to be careful with what we're celebrating because often I think it'll be what we're worshiping. I'd like to make an assertion that you may or may not agree with, but think about it today. I think that often underlying our celebration of Christmas in modern Canada is a celebration of self. Celebration of self. If we consider our Motives and our reasons for festivity. I think that we'll often see a focus on ourselves and our own happiness. We want to be with friends or family often for our own sake, not necessarily for theirs. We celebrate love and joy and freedom as long as it's our love and joy and freedom. We look forward to Consuming food, consuming entertainment, consuming rest—not to even mention consuming money—we spend excessive amounts during the many sales of the season, and not only on gifts, right? Even our, uh, even our giving of gifts—we may give gifts out of the to get the pride or satisfaction that we get from giving them. Even our best. Actions can be tainted. Even, uh, we have extremely mixed motives, and I'm as guilty as anyone of that. But I think the, the dominant message of Christmas in our culture could be summed up by the lyrics of the familiar song. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Have yourself Merry Little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, your troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Make Christmas merry for yourself. Think about your own heart. Make it light. Forget your troubles. Make yourself happy. Find Christmas for yourself. Within that context, which I believe is pervasive, it's mindlessly adopted in our culture, within that context, Christmas, the real Christmas, actually contains a rather subversive message. At least it should. The the message of the original Christmas couldn't be further from our usual purposes or pursuits these days. To see what I mean, I'll invite you to look again at the the good old story, the true Christmas story from the Bible, and go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2 with me. Luke chapter 2, I think that we're going to see today that that far from being a holiday to use for selfish reasons, for self-centeredness, for self-consumption, for self-expression, for self-worship, Christmas should be all about selflessness. This is what God exemplified for us at Christmas. And I believe that we should be seeking to celebrate Christmas in this manner, even this year. Celebrate Christmas selflessly. Follow along with me as I read this simple, familiar, yet history-shaking story to you. Verses 6 and 7 then succinctly describe the actual event, the climactic event. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn, firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. It's remarkable, isn't it, how few details we know about Jesus' actual birth. Think of the birth announcement that parents send out these days. Blast it out over social media or on email, maybe they send out some, some postcards, a picture, all the above. Imagine this post showing up on Joseph's Facebook page. The cute baby picture. All right? At 10.45pm on December 25th, after 19 hours of grueling labor, my champion wife gave birth to a healthy, energetic baby boy who tipped the scales at eight pounds, seven ounces. His name is Jesus, couldn't be cuter with his shock of black hair and hazel eyes. After a short stay in Bethlehem's stable hospital, we are all home now learning what life is like as a family of three. Both mom and baby are doing amazing. <laughs> Frankly, we don't know what Mary's labor was like. We don't know if it was easy or difficult, short or long. We don't know if there were any health complications along the way. We don't know how well mom and baby did. We don't know how comfortable they were if there were actually farm animals standing around. We don't know how silent or not so silent the night was. We don't know how clear it was at midnight. We don't even know how much Jesus weighed, what he looked like as a baby. We don't even know if it was December. Odds are it wasn't. See, the big thing wasn't so much how Jesus was born, but that he was born. Besides, the the big birth announcement was coming up soon. And by big, I mean big. Okay? God didn't send out a postcard or a post. He sent an army. Look at me, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Fear not. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, the the fact that God would make this important of an announcement to a a group of unsuspecting shepherds is one of the most surprising parts of the Christmas story. This would have been a, a small cluster of of smelly, blue-collar, rednecks in a green pasture. Why them? Why shepherds? Why not send the angels to the palace? Or to the temple? Or at least, why not send them to a big group of people in a city? Perhaps it was to show the fact that, that Jesus had come for anyone... Anyone who would receive him, you didn't have to be rich or powerful or famous or influential or connected. You just didn't be shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night. But whatever the reason, these shepherds were some of God's chosen recipients for this news. But what I want to especially focus on today is the message that the angels delivered to them. Because this is an explanation directly from heaven about what was happening. And it answers the questions of what, where, why, when, and most importantly, who. Who? First angel to appear declared this in verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. At its heart, Christmas is good news. By good news, we often use the word gospel around the church, and gospel means good news. News. This is what Christmas is at its heart. It's good news. Now we know that that God was working towards the redemption of mankind for ages. Ever since we fell into sin at Eden, He had promised a snake-crushing Savior. But here was more than just a good prophecy or a good promise. This was good news. This was an announcement. This was more than imminent. This had arrived. Now, there are are probably about 50 different observations, rich observations that I can make about this message that the angels deliver. I want to briefly focus on four this morning. Okay, four that should help us take our eyes off of ourselves, that these truths to really humble us out of our false self-significance, but also lift us up out of the dirt. Show us what our true value is in God's eyes. Here's the first thing I want us to notice from the angel's message. Christmas is brought to us. Christmas is brought to us from the outside. Christmas is brought to us. On top of this, like the shepherds, it comes to us undeservedly, maybe unexpectedly. It's purely because of God's good favor and gracious choice to love us. Listen again to what the angel says. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I bring you this good news. Brought from where? We can figure that out pretty easily. Verse 15, which we haven't read yet, says that when the angels went away from them into heaven, they had come from heaven and they returned to heaven. Heaven is the place, the, the real place that God dwells. It's where he lives. And God often uses angels as Messengers. In fact, the word angel means messenger. The, in verse nine, the first guy is called an angel of the Lord. so he came from the Lord. Therefore this, this message of good news came directly from the Lord of heaven and came to earth. And not just the message, right? The object of the message, the child himself came from heaven. Christmas came from outside of us. It was brought to us. In other words, it's not found inside of us. That's not the usual message you'd hear today, though. We recently went to see the new Grinch movie, and it was it's delightful. It's a clean family movie. I also recently read a fascinating article about the backstory and the history behind Dr. Seuss's Grinch story. And when Dr. Seuss originally wrote the book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, he very deliberately left out any kind of religious language or themes in it. He intentionally did it, and he's quoted as doing as much. But the turning point in the book comes as the Grinch internally ponders the meaning of Christmas, and then his heart just grows three sizes. And he goes from the villain of the story to the hero, returning Christmas to Whoville, with, I quote, he himself cutting the roast beast. And the original movie came out. Dr. Seuss wrote this song, Welcome Christmas, with the lyrics... Christmas Day will always be just as long as we have we. And well, I think at least he emphasized the value of community. I agree. But we did not bring Christmas to ourselves. We can't do it. In the article I was reading, Dan Olson concludes, The moral of the Grinch is clear. The real meaning of Christmas is inside us. God is not involved. We are saved by we. Our world has been taken over, I think, by a, a worldview or a mindset that's known as expressive individualism. Now, you might recognize this idea better by the slogans behind it. You be you. Or you do you. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Find yourself. And many people today would see the the highest possible good in life uh, is individual freedom, happiness of self, self self-definition, self-expression. You are who you define yourself to be. So, cultural, or family, or religious, or ethnic, or gender restraints be damned. Any kind of tradition or regulation that restricts you needs to be cast off. Now there are are many implications, many challenges that go along with this worldview. I would commend to you the work of Trevin Wax that he's done on this at the Gospel Coalition. It's a good primer on what expressive individualism means, if it interests you. But it should interest you. Because it's exactly what most of your friends believe. And it may in fact be what you've bought into as well. And Christmas has been co-opted and, I think, twisted to be yet another expression of finding ourselves, finding our own happiness. Yes, community is good as long as it affirms you and as long as it helps you and as long as it makes you merry. When really, Christmas should be abrasive to individualism. It tells us that our hope cannot come from within us. It comes from outside of us. You doing you will lead to disaster. Find yourself and you likely won't like what you find. But if you, like the shepherds, find a child in a manger, you find Grace that is brought to you. It's good news. you so can't do it on our own. Grace that is brought to you. Now before you start thinking, oh, how special we are that this would be brought to us. Don't let yourself get internally focused. The angel didn't even give the shepherds a chance to think that before saying this. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Here's a second observation I want to make about this. Christmas is for more than just us. Christmas was meant for all people, so it's meant for more than just us. Imagine what the shepherds might have thought had the angel not said that this was good news for all people. After all, he came only to them, out of all the people in the world. And the angel kept saying that this news was was news that was specifically meant for them. I bring you good news, unto you is born. This will be a sign for you. They they may have been astonished by this, but they would have no reason to spread the news, right? It was for them. They, They would have had reason to become prideful, conceited. But that's not what happened. Instead, the angel said this would be good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Everyone. Everywhere. Not just Jews, but also Gentiles, like Greeks or Romans or Canadians. Not just. For people alive in the first century, but for all the centuries to come. Not just pious religious people, but also impious unreligious people. Not just people who heard the angels sing, but those who hadn't heard yet. And and might I add, not just members of Calvary Baptist Church, for everyone in Ottawa. The shepherds obviously took this to heart because as this passage eventually shows, they became some of the very first evangelists, spreading the good news. And this is something that we have to come to grips with. Yes, Jesus was born for you. And he was born unto us. But he was also born for all people. That doesn't mean all people will be saved. Not at all. But that does mean all could be saved if they would come to him. And we who have heard the news of Jesus have to do something with Jesus. We will either believe in him and follow him or we will reject him. There is no middle ground. Everyone, all people, will respond in some way. You will do something about Jesus. I... Hope and I pray that all of you here would come to see Jesus as your Savior. That's like the main point of Christmas after all, right? That that Jesus has come to save us. It's crazy. Christmas is most definitely not about you or me. But in God's grace, what we see here is that it's meant to benefit us in in astonishing ways. See, here's the next point. Christmas is meant to save us. Christmas is meant to save us. As a human race, Christmas is meant to save us. What made the angels knew such good news of great joy? Verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. God's Son had come to complete God's plan of redemption and to glorify His Father, and He would do that by saving people. People whom God loved. Now this may sound like old, stale news to you. I hope it doesn't. Because that the infinite God would become man to save man, to save you, to save me, should be incessantly shocking to us. It's unbelievable grace. You might be confused as to how something, that a baby's birth that happened 2,000 years ago, should still be affecting us and impacting us now. It's a good question. But, If there is a God who created all of us, and if we have offended him terribly by our sin, we better hope that there's a way to make things right with him. And if this God truly loves us as much as he says he loves us, it makes sense that he would do something to allow those he loves to return to him. Listen, we can't explain why he loves us. But if he does love us, we can explain why he'd save us. And if this God who loves us is also all powerful, then it makes sense that he'd only have to do something once. And it would be sufficient for all history. Doesn't matter if it was 2000 years ago. Right? It was God's timing and in God's power he's still mighty to save. How's that possible? because Jesus is still alive 2,000 years later. right? Oh, he did die one day. In fact, that was the pivotal moment in God's plan. Someone had to pay the price for all our wickedness and rebellion. And only a perfect substitute would do. And that's what Jesus was for us. He took our place died our death under the judgment of God but death could not hold him grave couldn't keep him like we say and he rose again we believe he then ascended into heaven as a glorified man where he is right now he's waiting at this moment for many to be saved until he returns. The fact that that Jesus rose from the dead is our assurance that not only is Jesus Savior, but also that Jesus is Lord, and that he will return one day. As it says in Acts 17, in the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere, all people everywhere, To repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That's our assurance. The story's not over yet. And that's why a baby who is born in the middle of the story, the heart of the story, still matters. Story's not over. We might wonder why we need a Savior, but I think that should be pretty self-evident. Just look around this world and see the mess we made of things. Just look at our lives. See the mess we make of them. Our self-interest tries to keep us at the center of things. But we can't be God. We fail and fall short all the time. Our selfishness also ends up damaging the relationships of those around us, all those that we love. Our sins cloud our hearts and our minds with guilt and shame and sorrow. Our relationship with God is broken. Something needs to change. We need to reverse course. We need salvation. And there is salvation in no one else but if you've realized this, my question is, have you repented? In other words, have you turned from your sin and turned to Christ, trusting Him to be your Savior? You can do that today. Jung Ho Kong is a professional baseball player from Korea at the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's a a top rookie a couple years back before he suffered a gruesome knee injury. And sooner after that his life went into a tailspin. He, He was accused of sexual assault and then got caught drunk driving a third time. He lost his work visa, thus couldn't return to play baseball. He ended up playing in the Dominican Republic where his health suffered badly. It was at that point that that God used an older missionary couple from Korea, from his home country, in a powerful way. They had noticed this this lonely, sad young man from their country and invited him into their home. Jung Ho Kong describes what his mindset up to this point had been in his life. He says this, Self-interest was the most important thing for me. I wasn't exactly an atheist, but I never put any thought behind believing in a greater power, so to speak. For me, it was more a thing where if I entrusted myself and my soul to a greater power, that would be a sign of weakness. That's why I never put any time or effort behind a religion. I wanted to put myself in the center of things. That's not too different from almost anyone you talk to today here in Canada, is it? If they were honest with themselves. I wanted to put myself in the center of things. But as he kept being invited into this couple's home, this Christian couple's home, he noticed a difference in them. And when he was cut from his baseball team, they actually invited him to move in with them. He heard their stories, how this couple had served God throughout their lives, being arrested in China for helping these refugees evade slavery and then ministering to people while they were in prison, and then on release, founding a mission that aided orphans and refugees and established underground churches in North Korea. It's amazing stories. And in this couple, Kong saw an entirely different approach to life than what he had been been pursuing. He saw selfless love, service, And that actually opened him up, opened his heart up to where he did receive the gospel. And that's an amazing thing about when God saves us. He transforms our hearts. Which should naturally lead to a transformed focus for us. And that's our our final point that Christmas should make us look outside ourselves, outside of us. Christmas should cause us to look outside of us and to God and to others. After the angel delivered his good news to the shepherds, he offered them proof. That's what verse 12 was. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then all of a sudden, this sky exploded in glory. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying they, they couldn't hold it in. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, Christmas may be brought to us, and it's for all people, and it's to save us. But if we think Christmas is all about us, we are sorely mistaken. It's all about God. And seeing the amazingness of God himself coming to save us from ourselves should cause us to erupt in praise like the angels did. Also like the shepherds did. Look ahead to verse 20. It said, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The main way that Christmas should cause us to look outside ourselves is in worship. Worship. So let me ask you, what are you doing to worship your savior this Christmas? If a if a friend of yours was asked, what do you think so and so cares about most this season? How do you think they would answer? Is Jesus your highest priority? Are you reserving time to intentionally show your love for him? Singing to him, praying to him, rejoicing in him, worshiping him. If not, that should be your first assignment when you go from here today. Put him first. It's for his glory. The next thing we should do is watch or see or behold like the shepherds did. I put it as watch so I could alliterate it with three straight W's for you. All right? All right? Look what they do. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So, so understandably, they just ran off with haste, it says, to see what the angels had told them about. And they found it. Mary, Joseph, and most importantly, Jesus. Jesus, Savior, Christ, the Lord. For us, the parallel application obviously isn't to see this with our physical eyes. But we do need to return to this story again and again, as we are this morning, with our spiritual eyes. To, to remind ourselves of what happened. To stare and wonder at what God has done. So, this season, be sure to, to sit down with your Bible by yourself or with your family, both, see the baby lying in the manger again. Observe it. Watch the scene. And let yourself rejoice. Third, as Christmas turns our eyes outward, we should take any opportunity we have to witness. Witnessing isn't just seeing something, but then sharing what you've seen. As they did in verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. In verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The shepherds couldn't help but spread the news, which they had been told was for all people. I wonder, do you truly believe The good news of Jesus is good news for all people. How about your family members that have sworn off Jesus? How about your friends who want nothing to do with religion? How about the people who seem way beyond redemption for whatever reason? You may very well be rubbing shoulders with them this holiday season. And God may very well use you as a witness and a messenger for them. Why not pray today? Ask for opportunities to do so and then take those opportunities when God gives them to you. I'd like to add one more application that doesn't come directly out of this passage, but as long as we're talking about making Christmas more selfless, this is a crucial one. It's what Jesus himself exemplified behind the scenes of our story today. This is what was going on in the grand scheme. What I want to encourage you to do is to give of yourself generously this season. Make a lifestyle of giving. Sorry so much for the W's. Give of yourself. We should excel in giving, just as Christ gave of himself to become like us and to save us. Paul told the church in Corinth this But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. That's talking about giving. See that you excel in giving. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's a description of Christmas. Christ was infinitely and eternally rich, and yet gave everything to make us rich. And so I'd encourage you to consider how you might give from what God has given to you in order to follow His example and in order order to express the grace that He's shown you. Especially in a season that's so consumed by selfish greed and consumerism. Can we see past that? It's not, considering how much we spend on ourselves, how much more should we be giving of ourselves? It's not about how much you give, but that you're giving cheerfully from your heart. You might consider going on a special shopping trip for the Rapid Lake collection we're doing. It might Consider showing generosity to a family you know is in need around you. We have those in our church around you even today. Maybe you would agree to support a missionary who's trying to raise support to serve the Lord. We have those among us too, missionaries who are seeking to raise support in order to serve God. Something that we're doing as a family this Christmas is we got a little booklet from Compassion Canada, and you should have gotten one as you came in. If you didn't, they're at the door for you to grab on your way out. But what we did is we took this to our our kids, and our kids helped us decide what gifts we want to give. These are forgiving gifts to children or families in need around the world. And so we settled on getting a chicken and a goat and mosquito netting. That was our goal as a family. And the kids have been working around the house to earn some money so they can put it toward that. And you know that we'll, bet that we'll be topping it up at the end to make it happen. But what might you do to intentionally give of yourself this Christmas? In order to, to make this Christmas a little bit more selfless. A little less about you. When I was a child, I remember counting down the days till Christmas. Starting around, oh, April. <laughs> I anticipated it all year round, right? And, and, the, and at age, the biggest reason was because the presents I was going to get. right? But as I matured, as I got older, I gradually began to look more and more forward to giving gifts. Right, I, now it's far more of a delight for me these days to see the joy that giving gifts brings others. I think I, I found it true, as I think many, many people do. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Right? But the only person, the only person who ever gave entirely with pure motives and totally selflessly was Jesus. And he gave the greatest gift the world has ever known. Himself. Now think about that. Therefore, how extravagantly blessed must Jesus be now because of what he gave? Can't even imagine it. And what's seems is we get to play a part in blessing Him some more. So let us worship Him, bless His name, and then go and tell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would You help us here? Would You help us to redeem this season around us that has become so much about anything but You? May we make it about you. May our hearts worship you fully today and in the days ahead. May we see those around us, not for what they can give us, but for what you gave to them. Change our hearts, change our attitudes, and by your spirit, help us follow you.